0: Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I am your host, uh, Stephen Pinecker, and I want to welcome back Matthew Gill, who is the prophet, seer, and revelator of the restored branch of Jesus Christ, loaded, located in Great Britain. Welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, good to be here.
0: So um, we kind of did an introduction to uh, the coming forth, how you received your scriptures, and then as I was as the interview was going on, It was like, you know, I think we need uh, to do another episode where we discuss um, the actual kind of give like a Cliff Notes outline version of uh, your scriptures, which is called the Chronicles of the Children of Aranek, which I've had the opportunity. And thank you very much for sending this. I want you hold your copy because I got the green screen. Okay, so uh, that's that's your scripture, which I find fascinating because I remember when I was originally found you like, who knows, 12 years ago, I don't know, I mean, pretty early on. Um, I remember you talking about the book of Jarenec. And then once you and I started conversing, I, uh, then it was like, oh, wait, you actually have more scripture, which is really fascinating. So we have basically two types of scripture. We have one that's what would be called the book of Jarenec, which you actually yep. had two separate plates, one twenty-four and one 10 plates. And that's what you yep. got, your, that, that's the original. And then you later on receive um, another set of scriptures Yes. And these are not engraved on metal plates, but these are actually written in parchment, correct? Right? Yes. Okay, yes. so then you, then, then you added that book into what would become the Chronicles of the Children of Neck. Um, Pretty good summation? Excellent. Okay. That's right. So what I wanted to do today, so what we're going to do, folks, is um, <clears throat> we'll do like a 45-minute segment where, where Matthew's going to talk about his scriptures. Like, tell us the story okay, which I think is important because, like, you know, get the basic introduction to these scriptures. He's going to tell the story of these scriptures and maybe talk about how it fits in with the greater narrative of other scriptures within the restoration context. And then, um, so that's today's conversation. I'm going to have Matthew back, where we're going to talk about uh, his church, the beliefs of his church, and also his personal life. So, without further ado, uh, Matthew, why don't you just, let's start off where we left off, which was basically, this is the idea of how the British Isles were settled with after the uh, Tower of Babel, where you have this group of people who make their way to, um, to England or the British Isles. And, and it's the story of the people who built Stonehenge. Let's start right. there.
1: Okay, so the uh, Chronicles of the Children of Aranek, uh, which composed the Book of Jaronek and the Book of Rayanek, are about the former... Some of, not all, some of the former inhabitants of the British Isles who made their way from the Tower of Babel uh, through Europe to England and settled in England and created um, a society based around the belief in um, God. Uh, They would later come to know that God as, as, as Jesus Christ, a pre-mortal Jesus Christ, but the the scriptures themselves are uh, are a uh, a compilation of their beliefs, their history, their dealings with uh, people they they come in contact with in the British Isles, um, their wars, their their uh, their commerce, um, and but but also. It also serves the. It also serves a greater purpose because it, it gives us an example of um, a uh, Christ-believing people outside of uh, either the Bible narrative or the Book of Mormon narrative, um, and it serves as, or I like to say, it serves as a uh, a further witness of Christ because. The the structure of the society that people live in is very, very religious. Um, They have prophets and then the prophets give way to uh, uh, a council of leaders. So, um, So it's a very rich history. It's a very diverse history because they come into contact with other people groups that have also made their way to Great Britain. And eventually, over time, those people groups become one group and um, they call themselves the um, the children of Aranek, or in some references, the children of light, um, and the light would be the gospel, uh, as they understand it. Now, getting into the narrative itself, then, getting right into it, uh, there are some similarities, uh, obviously, I, I, I don't understand how people find it, jarring or uh, uh, what's the word um, confusing when the narrative of the book of Jaronic either mirrors uh, the narratives we have in our other scriptures such as the book of Mormon or the Bible because if we're talking about a people who believe in Christ and a people who believe in the gospel of Christ there would be some similarities some similarities in beliefs some similarities in, in how you structure that kind of society based on those beliefs. Um, there are some similarities throughout the book of uh, Jaronic in particular that, that you could say, uh, uh, I very like the Book of Mormon. Uh, I don't understand why people have a problem with that. When I don't read the Book of Mormon and go, oh, there's a lot of similarities there between that and the Bible. <laughs> you don't, do you? Um, because everyone everyone has has agreed well over time, if you're a believer, that that narrative has come full through the prophet of God. Um, but the Chronicles of the Children of Aranek, which compose those two books, the Book of Jaronek and the Book of Reynek, are really a story of one family group of Aranek's, who was the first prophet, by the way, in the, in the story. It's really a history of his progeny, because Jaronek, who ends up being the last of the prophets in the Book of Jaronek, can trace his lineal ancestry back to Aranek. So it's really a family story interwoven with uh, political intrigue, historical intrigue, um, you know, all kinds of things, wars, uh, famines, pestilence, all the things that you would find in a major, a major society. Um, I'm a, I'm a history uh, major. I have an MA in history. Um, And for me, The narratives of society are very similar wherever you find them. They have a high point and a low point, and then they have this weird middle point. Um, There's a rise, a middle and a fall. And I think every society in the history of the world had that. So the Book of Jaronit would be no different from that. They have a rising point where they, they reach the zenith of their spiritual output, their cultural output, their artistic output. And then they have this weird middle bit where you get apathy and you get, you know, who eh, really cares anymore. And then you get, of course, a decline. Because when people start to care less about what they're doing, they fall into a, a greater, greater, steeper decline, which is what you see in the Book of Jaronic. Pretty marked, pretty marked out, actually. I think it's harder to follow in the Book of Mormon uh, than it is in the Book of Jaronic. But then again, the Book of Jaronic's, you know, 10 times smaller than the Book of Mormon.
0: Okay, so just as we we're talking about the Book of Jaronic right now, so um, I'd like to know, give me the time frame okay. that this this history covers.
1: Okay, so uh, I'm not going to give you an exact time frame, I'll give you a ballpark time frame, because the, the Book of Jaronic mirrors roughly the, the Jaredite timeline. So, what's that, 2300 BC, something like that, until about... Um, I want to say somewhere like 300 BC, roughly, roughly, because obviously they don't they don't write in the scriptures. Today I woke up and the year was blah blah. Uh, the reason we have the years in the Book of Mormon is because somebody's been bright enough to go through it and chart it. Nobody's done that yet, but we know that they they started off at the Tower of Babel with the Jaredites. They knew. Uh, the Jaredites they traveled at some point with the Jaredites and then split off so the reason I say it mirrors their society and their timeline is because uh they would have things culturally in common with the book with, with the people of Jared um and uh I know I know because where the book of Rayon it picks up that it would have been around about 300 bc-ish that it that, that, that they ended so uh, and then, of course, the Book of Ra, and it picks up the narrative, say, 50 years later, and the narrative in that continues right up to today. So um, that's a whole different um,
0: yeah. ballgame. Yeah, so I just want to so so the, so that the, these people are related to the Jaredites. Um, yeah, they, they their language was not confused. So they have no. what we would call it was referred to as the Adamic language. Yeah. I'm just curious. So, when you are getting these plates and <clears throat> the other, the other documents that you're working with, is this the Adamic language you're, you're, you're translating from the plates? Yes.
1: Well, well, that that's that's an interesting uh, question because I doubt uh, whether it's pure Adamic, and the reason I say that is because this narrative is written by somebody a lot later than the first people, Um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. And the language, of course, over time, every language, of course, evolves and changes over time. Um, uh, Syntax changes, the way you use uh, verbs and adjectives change over periods of time. So I, I, I think it was a form of Adamic. I don't think it was a pure Adamic that was on the plates. And the the reason I say that is because, just because of the length of time from the very beginning to the very end of the Book of Jonah, there's just too much time in between. There's too much much outside interference in their culture, if you read the book very carefully, for their language not to have changed at some point. Uh, So it wouldn't have been, a pure adamic it would have been some kind of proto adamic language that they came up with
0: okay so it was, is, it there any, English is there any language that is uh, exists today that's related to the language that's written on those plates
1: that exists today yes no not that exists today okay. i mean the closest the closest historically will probably be even then it might be different I want to say, like, ancient Celtic, maybe, because ancient Celtic doesn't have a written language anymore. It certainly doesn't have a verbal language anymore. See, a lot of the problem with nailing things down in the British Isles historically, from a scientific point of view, is that, according to science, there's no written or spoken language of the ancient peoples. So we tend to latch on to things like uh, ancient Celtic, which we know was spoken at some point. Um, so I would probably say if it's going to have anywhere near the the, the 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 relationship. It would probably be to ancient Celtic, but mm-hmm. you you would there's no there's no language on the planet today that comes close to it. Okay.
0: Um.
1: For for example, during the translation of the plates, and I've said this many times. Um, what you're reading is what I translated. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone else. Put on the interpreters and translated that book. I'm sure they would use different words to describe things, uh, because we can only use what's what's in our vernacular, and where my education point or limit is at that time. Um, it's not. It's not a. It's not like translating a French text from an ancient scroll into English. It's not like that at all. Um, it's very similar to what Joseph Smith did with the plates, um, but the. The, the beauty the, the beauty of the story of the book of Jeremy, when you strip away all the, all the the warring and the, the, the uh, small talk in between there's lots of it, um, it's the, the relationship that they they form with Jesus Christ over the years that they they know him. For example, uh, the children of Aranek um meet another group of people who have already settled the British Isles and they form a, a cohesive society. That the 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 children of Aranek are they don't keep a lot of written records. They keep more um vocal lineal history. When they meet these people in the north, the people of Rydnon who are in the north where I live in Derbyshire, which is exactly where or exactly the land of Rittenon is where I live now, um they they learn that these people keep copious notes and records in fact they've got a library it's a big big huge library inside a cave and uh when the when the missionaries who go there see this they can't believe the amount of records and so when the two fuse together into one society the people in the north bring their record keeping to bear over the people in the south and um Jaronek's quite uh, open with the facts in the record and he says we learned we learned to respect record keeping from the people in the North. We didn't really do that before we met them. Um, we learned to respect uh, women, we, not respect, uh, hold them in a, a greater esteem because the people in the North had women priests and the people in the South didn't have women priests at all. So there's lots of um, beautiful things in there about societies coming together and learning from one another. But then, of course, the the flip side of that is you get your your crazy nutcases who think that because society is mixed the way it has, that they need to go back to some kind of pure form of society and they end up having wars and uh, conflicts about lineal genealogy and all kinds of stuff. And um, anybody who ever says to me uh, that it's not not complex hasn't read it Um, or they've not read it. In my opinion with the right spirit because there's there's a lot of complexity in it Um, because it's a complex story I mean you know we're talking about people groups living together worshipping together going through trials together um, building a society together uh, and they and the people in that society are very well aware that there are outside forces and influences that are coming to Great Britain all the time and they're having to they're having to change their society to in- welcome the influx of different people groups and different belief systems. They're trying to hold on to this. By the end, they're trying to hold on to what they consider to be the gospel of Christ, uh, unsuccessfully because they die. But um, so, yeah, it's a complex story.
0: But this is interesting. There's actually there's a few questions I want to ask you. First of all, I, I I'm just interested in as your role as a translator, as this story is unfolding, and I'm just gonna step back and say, okay, you're translating something, right? I'm not and, and I'm not saying you're the author, I'm just gonna say that you have the urban thumb you are translating. Is there a point when you're dictating the story or it's being translated where you're actually genuinely surprised at something oh. at the story, like something catches you off guard, like, whoa, I, I didn't see that coming.
1: Well, yeah. Um, well, there are a couple of couple of those. Firstly, <clears throat> was during the translation of there's, there's a there's a, there's a chapter in the book of Jeronic. I'll see if I can find it while we're talking. Um, I'll go to the best thing to do is go to the contents, isn't it? Um, so page thirty eight. So uh, there's a story in the book of Jaronic called uh, The Mission of the the mission of the Three Righteous Brothers uh, or the Three Righteous Brothers and that that tells a, a story about uh, three young men who are chosen by the prophet to go and look for a group of people in the north who the prophet is the Lord's told the prophet they're there and they need things from these people in the north so these three brothers are chosen and they go on this mission now just I don't know if how well you know the British Isles but Um, I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can bring up a map to give you some context to what I'm talking about. Um, um, I won't be two seconds. Okay, so okay, so uh, if you notice on this picture at the bottom, there's the temple site that's written there in red. Mm -hmm. That is where roughly Stonehenge is in Wiltshire. Okay, now I live where the big red dot is where it says the city of Ridnon."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: uh i live round about there uh, in the derbyshire countryside um now these three brothers had to walk from wiltshire to that area um without road, without a real road system there are no you know uh Highways and highways. They were walking through areas they didn't know, didn't understand. They came to rivers they couldn't forge. Um, so, gives you a rough idea anyway of the, the distances. Got these guys were were travelling. So anyway, they, they get to the people in the north and they 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 stay with them for a while. I think it's a year, and they suddenly find out when they're, they're staying with a the family that the, the 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 elders of the the people in the north put them with a family, and. Uh, woman's the woman the mother of the family she's called Luna and she 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 starts to talk to the two brothers about their beliefs and about their religion and she she happens to drop into the narrative very subtly well I'm a priestess I can go and do things in the council chamber and the three brothers are like no uh women aren't allowed to do things like that now Coming from my background, that was very similar uh, from an LDS background. So when I was reading that, the the first thing that popped out to me was, oh, this this record's talking about women priests or priestesses who hold the priesthood or a priesthood and are able to access worship services within that the three brothers wouldn't allow. Uh, that really stuck out to me at the time, and it was—it was. I remember reading that, and uh, gentlemen who were uh, uh, translating with me were like, "Wow, that—that's—that's. That's, I've never. That's—that's that's odd. Because why would they do that? Well, I thought it would be the same. And so that was—that um, was an interesting one. And then the uh, the second one for me, anyway, is just how much outside um i don't want to say interference influence the people receive because if you read the book of mormon you very rarely hear about any outside influence on the nephite culture if any right apart from the lamanite culture and then you're at the guys, but there's no, there's no like, oh, we came across a people today we didn't realize existed or anything like that. Uh, there's nothing like that in there. And I would imagine that's because there aren't on, on the large plates, the small plates of Nephi, but it's irrelevant. Uh, in this one we hear, especially towards the back end of the, the book, we hear about, uh, uh, painted warriors from a foreign land. Uh, we hear about, uh, Jaredites making the journey from America to England to, to help fight in the war. Uh, there's, there's a character in the Second Great War who is, a, who, is a, who is a Jaredite. Because of the knowledge that he brings from his land, he instructs the army here, led by uh, a righteous leader, how to build certain fortifications and how they might look. And I found that intriguing because I wasn't expecting to see that, that level of outside um, influence on the record
0: at all. Very interesting. So, you're saying that in the narrative, you actually have Jared a Jaredite from makes his way from America. Well, not just one, a group of a group. Yeah. And what, what, kind, what was their mode of transportation? They came in ships. So, they weren't uh, they weren't the barges, they were ships.
1: They were ships.
0: Okay, yes. okay. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and, and he comes in, and, and embeds himself. In, they, they come across, there's a, it doesn't give a full narrative, but it gives a slight narrative about where he came from and his people came from. They came looking for people to trade, to trade. And they came across here and they, when they got here, they found, them, they found us in a state of war. And because they'd come from a land of perpetual war, they wanted to help in any way they could. So they stayed to help. And when the war was over, they would go home. Uh, so
0: oh, fascinating. OK, that's very interesting. Now, the other the other aspect that we touched on, I want to touch on is uh, the idea that Jesus makes an appearance. Right. OK, tell me about the Jesus of your scriptures. From the
1: from the book of Jeronech. um it's a pre-mortal Christ. Um, he makes one appearance um, as a pre-mortal being to the people before they get to England they're in France building ships and um, the prophet and his spokesman get the people together and they tell them they're going to start boarding the ships and uh, the prophet's brother's going to die and everyone's really upset about it and and then if you're cutting a list, long story very very short uh the, the 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 premortal christ appears in the heavens and descends uh to the people and the people sit and he talks to the people uh that's the only time in the book of jaronic where the pre-mortal christ makes an appearance to a mass of people uh so obviously uh he hasn't been born yet Mm. and and in the whole narrative of the book of he's never been born yet um so they are waiting for the day when the savior or the christ is going to come and be born um, and they are preparing themselves for that, rather than uh, preparing themselves to receive uh, a mortal Christ in their midst. They're they're preparing for the birth of the Saviour of the world to come forth. Okay, and in so, fact, the prophet the prophet Jeronik has a vision about the birth of Jesus Christ and about his death and about his resurrection. There's a whole section in the book of okay. Jeronik about. It.
0: So we basically have. You could say that we have Christians. Would you call these people Christians after their encounter with the Primordial Christ? You'd have to, wouldn't you?
1: I mean, depends what your definition of a Christian is. But they believed in Jesus. They, they believed. Well, they called that before they knew who it was. They called him the almighty one of heaven. Because before he before he manifest himself in a, a full body, they would see uh, um, a pillar of fire or they would see uh, an image in a cloud of light. They never saw or they'd see a hand or a finger. They never actually saw the, the, the real, the, the full body until that moment. At that moment, they realised that this person is going to be or, or, or is uh, the saviour of the world and at some future time, he will come into the world as a child and redeem mankind. And that's that's what they're working towards as a society, I suppose, the acceptance of that. But I mean, I've been asked this question before. Uh, uh would you call them christians uh i mean uh, were they doing anything in their religious practices that you would class as christian um you'd have to read the religious records to find that out for yourself i mean they were certainly they were certainly uh, uh baptizing to an extent they were uh founding and setting up churches in the name of jesus so Um, they weren't participating in sacrament because there'd be no need for them to Um, so some aspects of their religious life you'd say are Christian some aspects of their religious life I like to call uh, (laughs) proto-Mormonist well that's a really really bad way of explaining it really Um, uh, you know they they certainly understood that Jesus, they certainly understood who who this Jesus Christ was or was going to become.
0: So, mm-hmm. um, so let's get to uh, Stonehenge. That's right. the temple site. So we're talking about the religious practices of these people. I want you to talk about Stonehenge. I also would like for you to talk about Woodhenge as well. Um, All right. And and ta- tell me what is the significance of these uh, these structures?
1: Okay, okay, okay. Well, well, our our explanation of stonehenge has absolutely nothing in common with your archaeological explanation of stonehenge and i'm a real expert on this Uh, i would have to argue that the archaeological explanation for stonehenge doesn't make any sense either Um, uh, uh, what the book of jaronic tells us is that these people were highly skilled advanced for their time they had a, they had a knowledge of, of of constructing buildings, which you need maths for. You need you know your trigonometry to to load bear all kinds of things. So they're an advanced civilization with regards to their building techniques. And 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 Stonehenge, the reason we call it the temple site is because in the Book of Jared, it's quite clear that they go up onto the plains that they call, which are the plains of Wiltshire today, but they call the plains of Shinar. Or Shannon, actually Shannon, not Shannon, because Shiner was in Babylon. They call it the plains of Shannar. Uh, and uh, they build a temple with the help of uh, uh, God. Um, I know, because I've been there, that that build that 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 ruin that Stonehenge today is just the bare bones, the very bare bones of what would have been uh, a a uh, a two tiered roofed building. What the what the archaeologists ar- expect us to believe, which is a stretch, is that the so called um, unadvanced people who have no appreciation of maths or high knowledge suddenly out of nowhere start. Collecting these great big monolithic stones from a long way away, uh, and start erecting them in a geometrical, mathematical pattern without any knowledge of maths. And uh, although their houses are roofed, because we know their houses are roofed, they don't roof something that they would spend a lot of their time in. Even archae- archaeologists tell us that Stonehenge was frequented a lot, and that people were there, and. We don't live in utah we don't live in florida uh we don't live in uh the midwest it rains here a lot and uh, if you're out if you're on the plains of of wiltshire near stonehenge it's windy it's cold it's drizzly even in the summer you probably want to wear a windbreaker um They expect us to believe that there were thousands or hundreds of people gathered there, all getting wet, all getting cold, staring in the heavens, looking at the stars. Firstly, it doesn't make any logical sense. And uh, still, archaeologists don't know what Stonehenge was for. They have theories, but they don't know. I claim that we do know what it was there for, that it was a, a, not only was it a special place to come and worship, but it was also a place for people to gather to hear the voice of the prophets and the elders of the church or their church. Um, we know I've been there, I've seen the evidence of these and they're never brought up when you talk to the archaeologists because they're a sore point. If you go to the outer banks of Stonehenge, there are these massive, massive round post holes in the ground. Huge. They're massive. And they all they're all the way around circumference and they never talk about the post holes that's because the post holes held wood in them and any reason those post holes would hold wood is if they're trying to support something above the stones and that would be a roof um they never talk about those or when they do talk about them they don't go into too much detail um, so stonehenge for these people or it wasn't called stonehenge it was called the temple site but the temple site for these people at stonehenge was very important. It was the the center place. It was was like building the temple in Zion. It was like everybody wanted to be there. We know through archaeological evidence the whole of the surrounding area of Stonehenge, not just at Woodhenge, which is further down the River Avon, but all around Stonehenge, there are smaller, smaller stone circles uh, and settlements houses they know that they found the bones of the feasts they found all kinds of stuff we know people were there at the at the time period that we're talking about and we know that they were sophisticated enough to build homes and temples so um when i go to stonehenge it's always a special moment because unlike the 90 percent of people walking around stonehenge i know what stonehenge was and i well i believe i know and i I've, I've seen what it could have been um anyone who says there's no research being done on a rude stonehenge first it doesn't know what they're talking about secondly hasn't obviously hasn't dug deep you know uh i have um a report done by a a, a lady here in the, in the uk she's she's a just a, a historian she's done an entire book about uh stonehenge
0: having a roof and having a two tier platform uh
1: so that's that's stonehenge
0: uh well just real quick i just want to know what what, what kind of religious rituals were occurring in the temple were they doing animal sacrifice tem- what was going on in there
1: no, in, in the tent well no they did do animal sacrifice yeah. uh, that uh, they weren't hebrew right. and so there was there, none of that uh, law of moses stuff this is well before all that. Um, they were marrying couples in there in front of the, the prophet we know from the religious record, from, from the, uh, yeah from the religious record. they were marrying people in the temple. Uh, they were holding uh, ceremonies. Um, how would you describe it? coming, coming of age ceremonies. Hmm. inside the temple. But not not all not they weren't just doing religious stuff in there. This was the place where all the all the heads of all the families or the elders of the churches sat in conference with the prophets. They would make they would make uh laws from the temple site, for instance, and the laws would go forth from the temple site or across the, the land. Um uh they were they were gathering together to do I suppose what we call today set prayers, prayers for uh, everyday living, health, uh, good crops, that kind of stuff to the Lord. But they would only do them in the temple. They wouldn't do them outside of the temple. Um, now uh, we know they were baptizing, but not in the temple, because we're not we're not that stupid. Uh, um, there's nowhere. Oh, there for there to be a temple uh, but there is a very 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 big river not very very far away called the river avon which uh the record says they baptized in um so um and that's not that's not that's a stone throw from the temple site they could walk it it, it there's something called the great avenue out of stonehenge it's like a dog leg avenue so you've got the stone circle as a straight road than a dogleg, that dogleg avenue, you go straight down to the River Avon. So it's possible for you to get a boat from Woodhenge down the River Avon, get off the boat, up the avenue, down the straight road to the actual temple site. We know from the record that they only stuck to the paved road leading into the temple. So they had to approach it from a certain angle. Um, and that can all be seen through the archaeological record, just how you interpret it.
0: OK, so um, I, I I just while I'm thinking of it, um, that book you said that there's this uh, woman, uh, female uh, historian came up with the roof, the Stonehenge. Would you be able to send me a link so I could put that in the show notes so people could access? Yeah,
1: I'm also, I've also got a picture on my phone that uh, she sent to me that I will send over to you as well, Excellent. which gives a, a representation of what she thinks it might have looked
0: like. Excellent. Excellent. Now, uh, before we move on to the. Uh, so we're talking about the Book of Jeronek, but we also have the Book of Rayanek. And before we do that, I just, you had you had some images that you uh, wanted to share with the audience. Maybe you could just share some of these images and kind of tell a little bit about the story of these images for me.
1: Okay, so not not too long. When we first started the, with the Book of Jerenek, as it was then, because we didn't have the Book of Rayanek, everyone was saying to me, we need some visual aids. We need some visual aids, because we, you know, if we want to picture these things. So. Uh, well, I had some very rudimentary pictures done at first that weren't what I wanted. And then a couple of years ago, I, I stumbled across a wonderful artist who I've, I've come to know very well. And uh, he, he did for us originally six six scene sketches, which I'll show you in a minute. And then he did, uh, I think it's 11, character sketches. Uh, so let's see if I can find you the the scene sketches first, because they they are... Excellent work, and um, fantastically well done, really. So let's see if I can find the.
0: S- the As he's getting are. ready for this. is uh, very fascinating. Uh, I've seen these images. I think they're very, uh, very okay. illustrative, very interesting. Um, and so here's, uh, the, here's, the, here's the first one. So I'll oh, okay, the first oh okay, here we go. Okay, okay, so
1: this is, this, is, this, is, this is the first of six scenes we had done by this artist. And this scene here depicts them leaving France in the boats and um, sailing across what would now be the Bay of Biscay and turning right into the English Channel. Um, and this is, this, obviously, this is an artist's representation of it. There are things on here that I'm not quite happy with. But it's a wonderful picture. I think it depicts what we're trying to say very well. And uh, I don't know if you notice, but if you if you look at the second figure on the bow of the ship, it's like a, a priest holding a rod with a with a, an oak leaf out of it. You can see okay. that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, don't know if I can, let me let me let me then bring. Oh no no stop! Let me see if I can bring up the second picture okay Uh, sorry about this it's It's taking forever i should have done better um in every picture in every picture there is a prophet or priest with a stick now this is the second of the six pictures
0: okay we'll wait for it to come up okay there we go
1: okay this is this is the three righteous brothers from uh right to left is hajanek and the one at the back with no shirt on is uh, Shiner, And they are the three righteous brothers that went on the mission I was talking about earlier to the people in the north. Uh-huh. They are besides an oak tree. They were great hunters, great providers for the people. Uh, and if you notice behind the tree, there's a priest with a stick. It's oh, like yeah. a, hidden, a hidden gem in each picture. Um, so obviously you get an idea of the culture that that the Book of Gerenic is trying to portray here. Very Mm -hmm. ancient, very ancient, very ancient Celtic. So that's that one. Mm. I I hope you don't mind looking through these pictures.
0: Yeah, no, this is, I I think the pictures can be very, I think for me, the Book of Mormon entranced me with the Arnold Freiburg paintings. That's what got me interested in it. So I think the visual aids can be, useful uh very helpful in telling the story oh wow now this is the, this is the this is the
1: third of the six pictures now this is a depiction of the great library of nimdoa which is spoken of in the record right. um this is in the north okay. the the record keeping people in the north and um the fella at the front the little the little man at the front uh, uh, uh he's the record keeper his name is Rodnan. And just at the back there, you can see a little priest of a little Maybe. staff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So now let's keep this image up here for a second. Now, what I find, first of all, I can definitely tell that the artist is influenced by Tolkien because I can, right. there's, a, there's definitely yeah. a Tolkien-esque look to all of this. Yeah. I just yeah. find this fascinating that apparently we have a civilization that actually was able to produce books before. Right. I mean, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, this is his interpretation of the of the okay. scripture that he's read. So this isn't exactly how the record uh, the record describes the library. The mm-hmm. records that the live that the book describes are on wood, or uh, metal, and or some on a kind of skin or parchment. So. Uh, he basically i basically just said to do a big library you know make it make okay. it look as close to the as close to the d- description as you can and of course he's gonna the artist is gonna have cultural influences himself and uh, okay i understand it's just an artist representation yeah sure no and actually like,
0: anachronisms anachronisms right. are very common in religious art uh right. so you're trying to yeah so okay we'll get so you give the artist a lot of freedom and to be able to tell the story yeah um,
1: because I wanted, I wanted i wanted the the artist to feel that he had a bit a bit of latitude to express his artistic uh style i okay. didn't want to say to him you know you can't you can't put this you can't put that uh, i told him that we that the culture is based on a very very ancient celtic culture which i believe it is okay uh, this Just is driving the
0: the, driving his influence okay so we're going to the next
1: so this is this is oh. the fourth of the six pictures now this is probably one of my favorite images because not only do we get uh, a wealth of characters in this picture we also get influences that i know that where the artist has read the scripture without me telling him because if you notice very carefully the the man on horseback is wearing a red cloak and all the soldiers behind him are wearing red cloaks um and there is a holy man or priest holding the reins of the horse now in the record of uh, in the record it says that they made a pledge to God that they would fight for freedom and they would fight to preserve their religious rights and to to make an outward sign to God, they dyed their battle attire red so not only would they be able to see each other on the field of battle, they would be able to show their enemies that, you know, we, we are symbolically washing ourselves in their future, future savior's blood here, mm. um, which is an interesting concept when you read the book. Now, the characters involved here, the man on horseback, and I'll show you a picture, of a close-up picture of him later. This is Captain Zinon. He is the righteous leader of the armies of Christ. He is the, the leader of the armies, the captain of the armies, and the man holding his reins is the prophet of the time, who is called Diznar. And um, he's always at the battlefield uh, blessing the troops and uh, willing them on for Christ. So um, that's that's that one. I, the, uh, that's one of my favourite pictures because I just think it's so well done. The horse is absolutely brilliant. The sky is amazing. Um, I just think it's very striking. Um,
0: getting to the end of the six now so uh okay. where are we okay uh, matthew i think we're just going to be able to get through the book of generic J- J- in today's uh, conversation sorry. which is fine Sorry, sorry. maybe give a summation think... of the book of ranek in our next issue, uh, episode and then okay. move on to other things okay now this is uh this, this is, is a, a battle
1: interesting... scene yeah battle scene from the book of from the book of Jaranek. uh there were lots of battles in the book of Jaronica at this time, and I said to him, "Base, base your, base your drawing on on your favourite battle from the book." So I know he's gone through and read it because there are certain things in here I've not told him about. Uh, for example, obviously the red cloaks again. Um, the the people on the dark side. Uh, they're wearing bear skins. Uh, I think there's a couple there wearing bear, or or bare chested. Uh, and then at the very, 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 very back of the picture, there is some kind of cannon-type object, which the records, which is that flying ball thing, which is what the record speaks about. Uh, it's not quite a cannon, but uh, it's it's modeled after the after the manner of the beast of the forest. So he's try to try to do that well. And of course, you've got the priest on horseback there carrying the flag. So. Hmm. Okay. Great And this is uh
0: what what time frame is this battle taking place?
1: Oh gosh, I need us uh probably about six to five hundred BC, I
0: want to say. Okay. So I just want to kind of just just as I'm looking at all this uh, activity, is there is there archaeological evidence that you would say would support the weaponry that we see we're seeing here, the the armor? Right. You know, that's right. one of the criticisms of the Book of Mormon that we don't have a lot of what it says is there. Is there? Is there? Is there? Are no, you... there's, there's, there's a,
1: there's, unlike unlike the Book of Mormon, um, which really struggles. Well, I don't think it struggles to find evidence, but some people think it does. Mm-hmm. Um, the Book of because we know roughly the time scale, we can dip into the archeological record and see that a lot of the things you're seeing are not all of them obviously, but a lot of the things you're seeing as on this representation did exist. For instance, the sword that, uh, that Zinon's carrying there, that, that, that style of sword uh, is in the archeological record about this time. Um, we know they had um, shields, mm. shields cast out of uh, bronze, uh, copper. Um, the The good thing about the archaeological record in um, the good thing about the archaeological record in Britain is it's it's a wash with uh, stuff. I mean, we for instance, up until about I want to say ten years, seven years ago, we didn't believe that that horses in the UK were uh, broken for riding. We believe they were just used as uh, to carry uh, carts or chariots, which, by the way, there's there's enough evidence to support horses being here. Uh, But they they did an archeological dig, I don't want to say about seven years ago, and uh, they found uh, the remains of a horse. And if you know anything about horse riding over a period of time, slight fractures in the horse's back will start to show where it's been ridden by a human. And they found those fractures in the horse's spine, no, telling them that this horse had been used to ride on by a person. It wasn't just used as a beast of burden, it was used to carry a person. So, and that, and, and that, 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 that slots in beautifully with uh, the timescale of the Book of Jaroneth, as do some of the weaponry that's found and some of the, uh, I mean, there's obviously ceremonial armour she's on show but a lot of a lot of this st- i mean don't forget britain uh is one of the is one of the biggest places in the world to mine tin um so um and you need tin to make things like um uh brass and stuff so and copper especially so uh we know they had they 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 were smelting uh bronze uh, later stages, steel or the Iron Iron Age. Later, we know they were they were doing that work in and around the time scale of the Book of Jaronet, So I'm pretty confident um, that uh, our people could have been riding on horses. I no, they were, and that they had they had weapons that they could use to hurt somebody with swords or shields or axes. Okay. Especially bows, especially bows and arrows. So last, this is the last picture I want to share okay. with you. Uh, this is the last of the scenes. (laughs) Anyway, and then we'll we'll
0: finish up on the scenes, and then we'll we'll have to uh, wrap things up today. This is the last
1: of the scenes. This is the last of the scenes. We have a a, a, an old prophet figure here, uh, lamenting what was gone and what's lost. Uh, We have people looting what's left behind. We have skulls on the ground. We have the stones at Stonehenge. Uh, we have a representation of a roof that might have been there in the past, and uh, that's that, that. Those are the six original scenes we had done. So, wow. As I say, as I say, I gave the artist, uh, you know, some latitude. He's an artist at the end of the day. Told him the the era, the culture we wanted to slightly represent, not over the top which is a proto-Celtic type of culture. And uh, we were very happy with the results. So, and I think, it, it, as you say, I mean, I, I was the LDS Church. I grew up on pictures of Freiburg and all that. Even I back then knew that the temple wall that that, that, that Samuel Lamanite was standing on, if he jumped off, they would kill himself, right? So even I knew those pictures weren't accurate, but it gives you an idea and a representation uh, and it, it helps people with the narrative and the stories. So. Yeah.
0: I was very, I, mean, I was fascinating. I, I wanna thank you so much for sending me those those, those images. And there's some other images you sent me about individual characters within. I'm I'm grateful to you for, I'm probably one of the, how many people in the United States of America have a copy of this, by the way? Oh, um, a few. Okay, so I'm yeah. probably one of a handful that has an actual copy, which I, I just wanna thank you. I wanna honor you uh, for doing that. And I appreciate um, Matthew. You taking the time to tell the story of your scriptures and i've often i've been so fascinated by the book of jarenic and, and and i'm so glad to hear you tell the story of your scriptures this okay. would, to me would be like sitting down with joseph smith and him <laughs> telling me the story of the book of mormon and okay. so i just want to thank you so much for giving me the privilege to have this conversation with you today matthew well. I, I guess i'm just going to ask you what is from the book of jarenic what is the one takeaway we need to take from that book? What is the overreaching message that you think is what the book of Jareneka is trying to tell us?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Um, For me, it is that God establishes law and order everywhere, where there are people who want to be to be in his company. The thing that um used to wind me up when I was younger in the LDS church is we always spoke about the Book of Mormon and the Americas and we had the Bible in the New World. And um it always played on my mind, well, there must be other people surely somewhere that that had interaction with God. Um, And uh for me it's it's that 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 God doesn't really, I mean, although he has chosen races and people, obviously. He doesn't have, have favourite land areas. He doesn't have favourite, if people want to be in his presence and want to worship, then he will do everything in his power to make that possible. And I think it also shows me that there's a need, there's a deep, a deep-seated need in everybody to want to know who they are, where they come from what their purpose in life is and where that that deep-seated need comes from and the book of Jeremiah for me speaks of that that need because all the time these people are wanting to get closer to this the god that they know to who is god and they want to be with they want to be with him they want to be close to him they want to please him and he in turn wants to please them and wants to help them um and I suppose that that that's it for me, really. I mean, the rest of it's scenery. I mean, although it's interesting scenery, it's all scenery. For me, the bit is that that Jesus Christ loves and cares for all his brothers and sisters, and wants all of them to 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 love and worship him and his Father. And um, that's what I took away from when I was translating, and and since when I read the Book of Jeremek a lot obviously, because we have study sessions. Um, and, and every time I read it, it's this overwhelming urge that they have to want to please God. And when they don't please God, they feel distressed, and they feel anguish, and they feel sorrow. Um, so yeah, I think that's as that, that, that's, that's close as really.
0: Well, thank you, Matthew, for coming onto the program today. I really appreciate this. More than welcome. I loved. I've loved
1: being on, and I've loved having conversation with you, and and hopefully we can have more conversations.
0: Yes, yeah. we're going to have welcome. you back, and we're going to continue the narrative of your scriptures. We're going to talk about your church, uh, your beliefs, your practices, um, and just maybe the challenge that you would offer to other churches within the restoration. Uh, right. Because one of the key things within Mormonism is this understanding that other cultures throughout the world that there would be other records that would come forth telling similar stories to the book of mormon and yours is one of those records that have come forth and for whatever reason it's not being acknowledged but uh, within the restoration context it sounds to me like you you can make you can make a claim uh you know so that's an interesting thing too we'll, we'll talk about that next time as well so matthew once again thank you so much for coming on and uh I'm looking forward to maybe you eventually getting out to Florida and we can visit sometime. I know you love Florida. I would love that. that. So I just want to remind my audience to like and subscribe. Don't forget to hit the notification button for when a new episode comes out. We are now on Apple, Spotify, Google podcast formats, um, getting a lot of feedback on that. Don't forget, we do have a Patreon page. So for those of you who would like to support us uh, financially, we would appreciate that. And I want to thank my Patreons who are supporting me. And uh, just remember, you can reach me on my email, which is mormonbookreviews at gmail.com. Y'all have yourself a great day.